0: There's a young boy walking through obstacles Cut up from all the surgery Prosthetic picture perjury Telling me I'm normal, but normal They never really made me see They always painted me Discriminated but levitated Through all the hating scenes So I be true Right now, I don't think our society has a consensus To have people with disabilities Have a rights of transport
1: we live in a world that wasn't designed for us. We have to move through systems and policies that were never designed with us and with us in mind.
2: My goal is not to make 100% of the of the French society physically accessible, but I want 100% of all those um, citizens to just never discriminate someone because of his ability or inability to, put, to, to do one step after the other. We have choices and we
3: have opinions. And we have ideas, and we have desires, but they're all limited in the way the world is constructed, in the way that we interact.
4: world that is not designed for everyone you don't believe me whether you're disabled or non-disabled i bet you've experienced a moment if not several moments when you felt excluded and frustrated think about it ever use a mouse that's only designed for right-handed people worn a dress without pockets ever thought about how your smartphone doesn't really sit that comfortably in your hand struggle to open a piece of packaging or read the small print well you're not the only ones Kat Holmes, the Senior Vice President of Product Design at Salesforce, describes this as a mismatch between the person and our environment. For disabled people, these mismatches can be the difference between inclusion and exclusion, between being able to work or live in poverty, between being able to live a life with self-respect and a life lived on the margins of society. The ability to contribute, communicate, integrate Thrive, even survive. It's like Haben Girma said to me about her experience as a deafblind student at Harvard.
5: So I work as a disability rights lawyer, addressing ableism. I'm also a writer. I published a memoir called Having The deaf Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law. I did not overcome my disability. It was Harvard that had to overcome ableism.
4: If the world around us enabled us instead of disabled us, what would be the consequences? The sky would be the limit. But the sad fact is, whether it was intentional or not, we've designed a world that excludes so many of us. So what can we do about it? In this episode, we want to hold a conversation about the challenges of living in an inaccessible world. Join me as I speak to athletes and activists, designers and campaigners from around the world to find out what's happening and what is being done to design a world that is for everyone. To begin this episode, I spoke with a famous architect and wheelchair user from Japan, called Yoshihiko
0: Kawauchi. I'm a person with disabilities also Uh, I have participated in the accessibility issue for about uh, maybe 30 or 40 years.
4: Yoshihiko is one of the great global voices for championing universal accessible design and has been advising Tokyo 2020 on the construction of venues and other locations for the Tokyo Paralympics. He gave us some background on how he hopes the Games will help to bring around change in attitudes towards accessibility in the city.
0: I am the first person who have got in touch with uh, Ronald Maze, who is the founder of the concept of universal design.
4: Universal design is the process of creating products that are accessible to people with a wide range of abilities and disabilities. Universal design typically results in an outcome that benefits a variety of users, not just people with disability. An example of this would be a sidewalk ramp or a cut curb or even an elevator.
0: Tokyo is the city which has the uh, most elevator compared to other big cities. But our accessibility challenge has started from 2000. Almost all stations had no elevator. So that means uh, we have achieved within 20 years, very short. However, the problem in Japan is an attitudinal issue. External issue means human rights or things of equality or dignity. Internal change is required in for Japanese people. Internal change means uh, to look around the, the environment and what is the best way for me to do in this environment, like using the elevator or using escalator or using stairs. Such kind of uh, smart, clever understanding is not fostered in our society. That is a problem.
4: It's hard to know yet whether or not the 2020 Games has made an impact on the attitudes of the Japanese towards disabled people. But what we do know is that Tokyo has been on a significant journey to improve the infrastructure of the city, to be more accessible and inclusive, and this is in part down to architects like Yoshihiko. In an earlier episode, we heard how the Paralympics in 1992 left the host city, Barcelona, a more accessible city. And we also know that Beijing and London saw significant improvements. So we have proof that the games can make an impact on the host cities, as long as they have the right leadership, motivation and investment.
6: I am the emblem of Paris 2024, and this is my face. My face was born from the union of three symbols. The gold medal.
4: So, looking ahead, with Paris 2024 fast approaching, can we expect even more change?
6: The Olympic and Paralympic flame, which brings people together through the values of sport.
4: I spoke to former French Paralympian Mikael Jeremiez, an advisor to the Paris 2024 organising committee, about Paris, a city where less than 10% of the metro system is fully accessible to people with all types of disabilities.
2: I moved, uh, I moved to London three years ago. So I'm um, I'm a, I'm a, French, uh, I'm a French man living in, in London and I'm mean, enjoying my life here. I didn't leave Paris because I didn't like Paris. I am born there and I love Paris, I love my country.
4: I asked Mickael about his experience of living in Paris and London and his hopes for Paris 2024. And if he believes the City of Lights will ignite the change that we need.
2: Well, there are many obstacles in Paris. Paris is not a very old city. Paris hasn't been thought and made for disabled people and especially for people in a wheelchair, that's for sure. When I arrive at the train station and I travel a lot between St. Pancras station and Gare du Nord in Paris, there's already a big difference, the accessibility. The way we look at me, when I just ask for my cab, I just queue. And yeah, of course, I've experienced many, way, many, way too many times discrimination with taxis telling me, oh, no, it's not going to fit. Oh, am i am supposed to do that? Or you should call like a professional cab? No, in London, the question is not is not even raised. All taxis are accessible. I've never seen someone looking at me with this like look of taking you, but I'd rather not take you. Um, when it comes to uh, taking the, the metro. I mean, the metro in London is an option. It's not perfectly uh, adapted. It's not perfectly accessible. Far from that. But it's an option. Not all the stations are accessible, but sometimes I can use them. And you always have someone coming to me and asking me where I'm going to make sure once I arrive there, there's a lift functioning, stuff like that. It just like I just feel like here it's not special that I'm disabled. When I go in a restaurant, I don't even think before. I mean, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I'm not thinking is the waiter gonna look at me like he's embarrassed because it's a bit crowded, or because the toilets are on the minus floor or on the first floor? Just like that's what I'm aspiring to, just like being one like the others. You know what I mean? And in Paris and in France, we're far from that. My goal is not to make 100% of the of the French society physically accessible, but I want 100% of all those um, citizens to just never discriminate someone because of his ability or inability to, put, to do one step after the other. Infrastructures have to improve in the next three years, in the next decades, because the game is not just like two weeks. Uh, it's like years, in adv- years before and decades after. It's all about legacy.
5: OK,
4: it's clearer than ever now that the Paralympics has the potential to change a city for the good, But do we need to rely on the Paralympic Games to come around before a city's infrastructure is audited for access? Obviously, this should not be the case. Surely only thinking about accessibility when a city is home to a Summer or Winter Games is not enough, however important they are as a catalyst for change. Take London, for example, where I live and work as a wheelchair user. After the 2012 Games, we may have seen improvements to the levels of accessibility and inclusive design such as on the DLR line. But even for a more economically developed country, one who's ratified the UN CRPD and even has an established Equalities Act to protect disabled people, there is still a long way to go before the UK is accessible for all. Katie Pennick, a campaigner at Transport for All, went viral documenting her journeys around London streets on Twitter and has helped to bring recognition to some of the physical barriers facing disabled people on public transport in the capital and across the UK.
7: Getting from A to B is about more than just the modal forms of transport. You know, there's no point having accessible buses if you can't get to the bus stop. So it's also about street space um, and the built environment, and a, a huge part of that is about the pavements. Um, so we see all sorts of problems. Um, you know, the, a lack of tactile paving, uh, uneven, steep pavements, narrow pavements, pavements that are cluttered with objects.
4: Katie isn't optimistic that change is happening at the right pace within the UK especially if contrasted to the transport systems in neighbouring European countries.
7: I know the Netherlands has made a commitment to net level boarding, I think, within the next 10 years. Barcelona, their metro system, their their metro system is something like 95% accessible. And when they say accessible, they mean genuinely step-free level boarding from, from you can roll on, um, which is amazing um 84 stations on the london underground out of 270 are currently step free however obviously we know step free is a bit of a misnomer in this situation because some of those depend on the manual boarding ramps i think it's about half of them you need a manual boarding ramp so in, in terms of like genuinely step free level boarding stations i think it's about 40 out of 270
4: Perhaps we have to ask ourselves what we mean when we talk about accessibility. Because inclusive design or universal design appears to mean something different depending on our perspectives. What is accessible to one disabled person may not be to another. And it's impossible to achieve success if advocates, designers, architects, and policymakers are all working to different goals.
3: Well, let me start off with two really big ideas.
4: Dr. Victor Pineda is the president of the non-profit World Enabled, and leads the campaign hashtag Cities for All, which encourages governments to design spaces for everyone. I asked Victor about the differences in approach.
3: Disability isn't just a phenomenon of an individual, uh, or even just a social construct. Disability is an interactive experience, kind of what Cat Holmes talks about with the mismatch. But even more specifically it's really a in essence it's a deprivation of human agency when interacting with the environment so what that means is that we have choices and we have opinions and we have ideas and we have uh desires but they're all limited um, in the way the world is constructed in the way that we interact with the world what's those barriers exist, we are deprived of human agency.
5: Now, inclusive
3: design, universal design, and accessibility all seek to expand human agency. They seek to unlock potential. They seek to open up new modalities of interacting with the world around us. And so I think when we think about these words, we should first center on the fact that they all have a very similar end objective, which is to identify and eliminate barriers and unlock human potential.
4: So, when we think about accessibility, we design for compliance and minimum standards. Imagine a standard accessible bathroom. The white plastic grab rails, the higher toilet, the wider door mean that as a wheelchair user, I have a level of independence, but the design is so clinical. It doesn't give me a sense of pride or agency. It reminds me that I'm disabled. It reminds me that I'm different. What if we could reimagine accessibility so that it could be beautiful? It could be stylish. We rarely put these words together, but we can and we must because disabled people belong in beautiful spaces too. One way to achieve that is to find designers with a lived experience of disability themselves. We spoke to Christina Mallon, head of inclusive design at Wonderman Thompson, and asked her more about her inclusive design process.
8: The work that I do really stems from the fact that um, both my arms became paralyzed about 11 years ago due to motor neuron disease. And I was working as a marketer at the time and, and felt like, I didn't see myself in the ads, but you know, 20% of the world had a disability. So you know, I really came on this kind of adventure of helping brands create more inclusive advertising and then really shifted towards, um, you know, product design in addition to marketing, because a lot of times the brands are saying, well, we have the marketing, but we're not sure how to make the products. Degrees created the world's first adaptive deodorant...
4: In April of this year, the world's first accessible deodorant was announced.
6: There should be no limits when something moves us.
4: It had a hooked handle for one-handed use, magnetic closures to remove and replace the cap with ease, and all of the text details were mirrored in Braille to support those who are blind or have low vision. Wonderman Thompson and Christina led the design process, taking in feedback from the disabled community the whole way through.
8: Wonderman Thompson brought in different members of the community that are individual acts, uh, activists from different backgrounds, race, sexuality, ethnicity, and just talk to them about their problems with deodorant and their problems with uh, different, you know, CPG products. And then we did some sketches brought them back to the disability community, got them kind of, you know, we like this one, we don't like that one. And there was mixed reviews on certain things. Um, Some liked really, you know, highly potent scents. Others did not. So um, we made some revisions to-
4: The deodorant has yet to make it to market, but this one case study proves the value of engaging with the disabled community. It shows companies and designers that lived experience has expertise and to truly create accessible products, it has to be created with us, not for us. Building accessibility into cities or physical products is without doubt a real challenge because so often we are retrofitting access, a process which can be complex and costly. But the digital world, however, is newer and ever-changing. Yet, disability advocate and human rights lawyer Haben Girmer tells us that even in this domain,
5: we are not yet
4: doing enough.
5: The vast majority of videos online don't have captioning, and captioning helps provide access for deaf individuals. It also helps hearing people who are in sound-off situations. It also both search engine optimization. The more text associated with your content, the more people will find your content, disabled or non-disabled. So one way to make the internet more accessible is to increase captioning. It's, It's really just good design. So people who use screen readers, people who use assistive devices, make sure there's testing by disabled people. Even better, Include disabled designers as part of your team. Increase hiring of disabled people at all stages of the organization. Including disabled people as
4: part of the team is essential for meaningful progress. But having disabled people lead the team is even better. Sam Latif is the company accessibility leader at P&G and a blind British woman. Her lived experience
9: and expertise resulted in company-wide innovation companies are waking up to the fact that people are one living longer and that we're not all born with a disability uh, you know we can develop one at any time through age or circumstance people with disabilities be it cognitive sensitive sensory or physical have got money to spend the more inclusively design the product the higher the chance that the disabled person can and will access it And we'll continue to access it. Telling products apart is an ongoing challenge for me and millions of blind people. So many products feel the same from the outside, but the stuff inside is different. You know, full fat and low fat milk, ketchup or mayo, shampoo or conditioner, and sometimes even more serious stuff like toothpaste or hair removal cream. The list goes on and on. And businesses need to recognize the magnitude both of this problem for blind people and the growth opportunity for them. I created a disability challenge which allowed our senior leaders and decision makers to experience for themselves what it's like one not to see well and next I started to you know ask them to tell products apart including shampoo and conditioner and through this experience they realized you know the problem that, that blind people experience I then brought to their attention the subtle solution that I had placed on the bottles, which would indicate to them that a raised stripe was shampoo and a raised circle meant conditioner. And this was a big aha moment for them. You know, finally, I then asked them to. Tell me if they would be up for making their products accessible and inclusive in this way. And they wholeheartedly agreed. You
2: just have to rise up. Skateboarding, surfing.
3: We just keep going. Like, get up on the board, keep going.
0: Keep going. And never give up.
3: Man dancing.
5: Let people know what... In
4: 2016, Tommy Hilfiger created their first adaptive clothing collection.
5: My ability... Is stronger than my disability. Boy with CP surfing. I am unstoppable. Esther
4: Verberg, the company's Senior Vice President for Sustainability and Innovation, told us that community engagement is where they also began.
6: We started the line basically in 2016, and it was really out of uh, inspiration also uh, from a lady called Mindy Schreier. She, works with, uh, she has an organization called Runway of Dreams, and she always adapts it to fashion for her son who has a disability. Uh, and she basically approached the organization and said, why can I not find fashion? And we were so inspired. So our first collection basically started with that. Um, it really resonated also with Tommy uh, himself because from his personal background, uh, he's very well aware of what it means to have children with special, uh, special needs so, yeah, that resonated with him. And I think also with the spirit of, of the company in general. Um, so we started with that. Uh, and that first collection, I think, had a lot of um, adaptations that were mainly focused on, for instance, larger openings or different openings or more openings to, um, you know, t- to help people with braces or prosthetics to actually access the clothing. Um Uh, We had magnetic closures there to also make sure that you can open things, for instance, with one hand. Um, And then we, we evolved from there. Tommy
4: Hilfiger's journey began through a collaboration with Runway of Dreams, but has evolved due to an increased opportunity for innovation and also Tommy's personal experience with disability. Three of his children are autistic.
9: When the idea came up to do something a bit different for... Uh, design with people with uh, uh, special needs, I jumped on the idea right away because I thought it was fantastic. I couldn't believe other people weren't doing it, other designers weren't doing it.
4: But for large companies, the promise of innovation and the personal drive to create a better world may not be enough. Leaders want to know, is this a business opportunity? Esther told us more about the fascinating ways digital tech accessibility and fashion collide and firmly believes that their adaptive collections are a gateway to a wider market.
6: So what I think is a really exciting field is the the combination of tech uh, and digitization uh, with fashion. So we already see some some interesting innovations in the area, of, for instance, like uh, conductive yarns that give you information. So, like sweaters that give you information about the wearer's movements, for instance, or the wearer's temperature or other well-being uh, elements. Um, and we've seen, I think it was what was it called, Antenna, I think from Japan, uh, really cool device where actually. Uh, For people with a hearing disability, they would translate noise into vibrations and light, um, and then you can make that into a hair accessory. So that those kind of things, um, I think, will be coming up much more. So the the smart smart wear that can help um, help provide extra functionality. But where I get really enthusiastic, I think, is the opportunity for made on the design on demand. So for now, it is really like, even when we do adaptive, we have to make a choice and we say, okay, it's it's that, it's going to be that adaptation to that t-shirt. And then that's what we're going to produce. And then you have to have at least so many hundred pieces uh, of it. I think where it gets really interesting, if if we can get to a space where we can say, okay, you can order, you can go online, you can say, I want that t-shirt. And then I want it with that adaptation or I want it with that sizing. Um, And, and the technology is, really developing super rapidly around 3D design and uh, manufacturing on demand. So it, it will click, I think, fairly soon. And I expect within the next five years, we'll definitely see possibilities becoming more, a little bit more mainstream. What we have seen, for instance, is that uh, 75% of the consumers that we get are new. Uh, and then 71% of those actually go on and shop also from the mainline. Uh, and the average order value of people that shop the adaptive line is much, much higher. So that in itself also indicates that, yeah, there is a real business case for this.
4: The business case for disability inclusion is becoming clearer. There are over 1 billion disabled people in the world, a number that is ever growing with COVID. And the community's annual discretionary income is over $1.7 trillion. This catches the attention of business, But does it help us bridge the gap to a more inclusive world? Shanae Burke is one of our executive producers and a leader in inclusive design. She takes a different
1: approach. There's one billion people in the world who are disabled. It's a population the size of China, we often hear. And then we'll hear that the spending power of disabled people in terms of their discretionary income is 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars. Bring their family and friends in, and that's 8 trillion U.S. dollars. Which does, I will be co- totally honest and say, turn the heads of leaders. Because when everything is about a profit and loss sheet, $8 trillion is so much money in terms of trying to activate that audience. But I have really stepped back from solely using those statistics as ways in which to enter into a conversation. Because it places disabled people as customers who need to be served, who need to be designed for, who need to be. Captured and captivated rather than a methodology of co-design, which invites them in to be part of the process. It focuses disabled people as spenders rather than as creators, rather than as colleagues. So now the language that I use is about, did you know that in globally the disability unemployment rate is between 50 and 70 percent? And then I talk about disabled people being innovators by design, because we live in a world that wasn't designed for us. We have to move through systems and policies that were never designed with us and with us in mind. So we have all of these ideas and innovations and creativity that are naturally within us. So my proposition to companies is now, don't think about the money that we're going to spend in your business. Think about how we're going to make your products, your culture, and the way in which you work better in ways in which you could never imagine.
4: So what comes next? How do we include disabled people in the design process, creating space for them to lead, innovate, and build a more inclusive and accessible world for all? Here is Sam Latif on what she hopes to see in the decade ahead.
9: My dream is that inclusive design is built in all products and experiences. There are no barriers for anyone to access anything I sincerely hope there comes a time when every company knows and implements inclusive design from the beginning, from the outset, resulting in more inclusive experiences for everyone, that no one is left out, that we're all included and able to experience anything through choice. I think in 10 years from now, there there will be significant progress. The world will be more inclusive and accessible. I can imagine that products will become easier to identify, easier to open for everyone. I can see the uh, employment rates for disabled people go from less than 25% today to more than 75% in the future. We've learned today
4: that so much progress has been made to make the world more accessible and inclusive, but it's not enough. Right now, these stories are exceptional, but they need to become the norm. Because when the world has not been designed for us, when we face endless mismatches, the only choice we have is to adapt to the world, compromising our needs and our ambitions, forcing us to seek out medical or technological interventions that appear to fix us. This is known as the medical model of dealing with disability and it's outdated and it's outright dangerous. Surely it's in our power to fix the world instead so that we can live in it successfully. What if instead of looking to fix the needs of disabled people, we lived in a world where our environment matched our needs instead? Would the word disabled need to be repurposed, redefined or totally eradicated? Design is such a universal medium and impacts our lives in a myriad of ways. And yet careless design discriminates every day. It feels like we have to challenge the norm. Design from the start. Demand design for all. Not at the end of a process, but at the start. The stories today have proven that it can be done It feels like this change is beginning to happen, but change is relentless and we need to try and ensure that all design is universal for us all from tomorrow. Are you a designer who wants to know more about inclusive design? Or are you a disabled person with an invaluable insight? How would you like to change the world? Join this conversation at hashtag equal 2 Join me next time when we'll be looking at employment exploring what it's like to have a disability in business and how employers can make truly inclusive workplaces a reality. I've been your host, Sophie Morgan. We'll see you next time. These podcasts have been made possible because of the support of Procter & Gamble. P&G share our ambition to create a more equal world, a world where everyone can have equal access and the opportunity to thrive. We are very grateful for their partnership in making these conversations a reality. 61% of people with a direct involvement in the production of the podcast, including guests, identify as disabled. This podcast was created by Greg Nugent, co-founder of Harder Than You Think. I'm Sophie Morgan, your host and executive producer. Fellow executive producers are Sinead Burke, Greg Nugent, Barnaby Spurrier, Laura Imes, Mark Pritchard, and Kimberly Dobriner. Thank you to the IPC and Channel 4 for their support and use of archive material. Thanks to our podcast production partner, Stripped Media, and also to Seneca Women for their assistance with distributing this show. If you want to follow the Equal To story and join the conversation, hashtag Equal To, go to our website, htyt.world, where you will also find the transcript and video versions of the podcast, along with subtitles and a BSL signed version in the coming days.